Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halex. And joining us in the studio this week, we have Jennifer Lang, a soundscape artist, a transformation... yeah, transformation facilitator. I was going to say transformational, but that too, right? All of the above. Yeah, totally. <laughs> thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here. Yeah. So sure. I've met uh, Jen through a mutual friend who um, actually was another guest on our show, Rhiannon Bennett, um, came over to do a workshop at my house for friends and family. Jen was one of the one of the attendees and we got to know each other. We had a little chat and discovered quite a lot of nice convergences yeah. like oh we've got stuff in common this On is a kindred ground. kindred spirit here and of course first thing out of my mouth when we got someone fascinating is or are you gonna come on the show? <laughs> and I said yes. You said yes. And she's come all the way from Victoria this morning to join us. So thank you, Jen. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you. So you call yourself a soundscape artist mm-hmm. and a transformation facilitator. Yes. Can you tell us what a soundscape artist means to start off with? Of course. Uh, it's, I was, I su- it's definitely subject to interpretation, but from my perspective, a soundscape artist, um, because I have a background as trained as an opera singer, I attended McGill University and got my master's in voice performance. And I've always been a musician. I could sing before I could speak. And the creation of music and the space in which music heals and supports people um, just simply became a channel and a way for me to channel my creativity mm-hmm. and work my craft. So as a soundscape artist, uh, when I was living in Dubai a few years ago, I trained as a sound bowl therapist. So I trained mm-hmm. on the Tibetan metal bowls. And my bowls are made in Nepal, not to be confused. It just happens to be the best place where their <laughs> best quality bowls are coming from. So right. they're anyway. So then I started creating soundscapes with the bowls and with my voice. And that became the way that I started to identify as a soundscape artist. I create and weave these soundscapes, auditory soundscapes, and without amplification or otherwise sort of uh, electrical interference. Right. Right. Not not synthesized as in its raw form. Exactly. So you said something that I'm going to grab on and dig deeper on. Mm -hmm. You said you were singing before you were talking. Yeah. I want to go back to the beginning. So tell us where this starts. Oh, so this actually starts, this is a story my mom told me. Uh, actually, gosh, she's been telling the story for years, but I've always loved to sing. And and I said, well, how did, how did you know this? And she said, oh, you could sing before you could actually speak very well. And she said one day she and her mother had me on the changing table. So this tells you how I was maybe 18 months old, if that. And... They listened to a radio show. My, they're both from England, and they listened to their radio show every week. And while they were changing me, I sang the theme tune of that radio show. <laughs> and they sort of looked at each other like, did she just do that? What we think she did? And yeah, so I've always been musical. I've had the quote-unquote ear for music. And I would always go to the keyboard and try and pick out the melodies I'd heard on the keyboard. 
So I, the first keyboard I started playing was the organ, and then when our family got a piano, I switched to piano. It lessons. feels like music was your first language. Uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, I mean, we can call it a language. <laughs> it is. It is a language of love, and and mm. really, it is a language of connection. You know, language. You know, the saying goes. That's actually on my face. My personal Facebook page cover is when words fail, music speaks. Right. Yeah. You think about all these songs that carry our emotions or mm. that act as an emotional channel for us to process experiences, then that is a form of communication that speaks to you on a very conscious and subconscious level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very primal. Very. Yeah. Very primal. So this was your first language. Yeah. It obviously then permeated everything that you did from there forward. Definitely. And you have a background in opera singing. Mm-hmm. We haven't had many people sit in our seats that are opera singers. We've had <laughs> lots of singers. Yes. But it's it's an interesting direction and fascinating to me because it's so not my uh, my zone. I don't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. How did you end up there? Oh, this, oh gosh. <laughs> Literally, I fell into singing. This is <laughs> like singing lessons. I... Uh, and it, actually, it's connected to the karate story as well. Okay, go ahead and tell it all. I'm not going to tell it all, but I'll <laughs> tell you how it's connected. So uh, I've always loved to sing. I had trouble finding a teacher when I was a teenager in my community, so I stuck with piano and organ. When I went to university, the first UVic was the first university I went to, I didn't actually go into music. I studied art history and medieval studies. So I did all this background work for singing, and I didn't actually start singing lessons, formal sort of classical training until I was 25, which is really late, really quite late. Mm. I played in youth orchestra. I played like played flute. I'd done all this sort of foundational work to become an opera singer. Um, but I, when I was 18, I didn't like opera. I hated opera. I liked classical music, but I didn't like opera. Mm. And I didn't, because I didn't have a way to connect with it. Then I, um, what was it? I had started doing karate my last or second to last year of university. And I really loved it and just happened that one day I was walking down on the Inner Harbor in Victoria and I was wearing slightly higher sandals and I turned my ankle and fractured a bone. (gasps) Just a tiny one. You know, I didn't have to have a cast. Luca's nodding because she did this recently. Yeah, and it's, it's like, it's just a slow recovery and I couldn't go to karate for six months because I had to be very careful with Mm -hmm. the way I walked and the way I moved. So I thought, oh, what am I going to do? I'm like, oh, sing. I saw a poster and I'm like, I'll do singing lessons. And like, literally, I feel like the universe just pushed me into singing. They're they're like, oh, she's not going to do it. We're just going to have to do something. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that started we'll my journey. Break her foot. We'll break her foot. She'll do it. Yeah, she'll break do foot, it. Break her will. Sit yeah. her down in a chair. So <laughs> what she's got left is her voice. Yeah. So I started at the conservatory, Victoria Conservatory of Music. I found a great teacher. I worked with Karen Smith uh, for actually the whole time I was at the conservatory. Plus, um, when Karen retired, I worked with her colleague Selena James, who was is like a legend in Canadian opera singer training. Um, she's an amazing mentor. She's passed on now, but she's, you know, she worked right up until her early, late 80s, early 90s, still training singers and amazing. Karen, uh, so Karen really shaped my perception of singing and music. And then once my foot had recovered enough, I returned to karate, which was a wonderful cross training for opera singing because martial arts teaches you so much about your body and how to move in space, which is what you need for stage work. Yeah. And the things like you never turn your back on your opponent in karate, well, you'd never turn your back on a performer mm. on the stage. Mm. And it carries through 
to networking because you'd never turn your back on someone you just met. It's always an open turn so that you would automatically include that person in your observations. I really yeah. like that wraparound. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starting to see two things here. So we've got karate. Yep. And I'm not saying it the correct way. That's fine. You can say karate. karate. Yes. karate. I know. <laughs> I feel. It's, I feel like I'm posing if I say it that way. So I'm not going to say it that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But you can say that because it's obviously your zone. <laughs> um, karate is very physical, but there is mental too. I'm not. I don't mean to dismiss the other yeah. a- aspects of it. There's also a relational component, a community component. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Singing is your voice. Yeah. So we've got physical. We've got voice. Mm-hmm. And Reiki. Reiki comes into the mixture. Yeah. Which is the spiritual. Definitely. So this is this is very interesting. Now tell us how Reiki fits into the mix. Oh, uh, so it's aside from my other interests, I've always been interested in uh, I guess alternative forms of wellness and well being and healing. So essential oils, you know, I like I've worked with essential oils for over twenty years in a casual capacity. I've never been trained uh, per se, but I've you know, I've enough experience in books and know how. And then I just, I was at, I think, a different conference, and I met a woman who trained in Reiki people, and she's, she was a Reiki master trainer, and I was like, well, yeah, that sounds interesting. I think I'll do that. So I did Reiki 1, <laughs> then six months later, I did Reiki 2, and a year later, I'd moved to Dubai and Abu Dhabi by that point, so I came back one summer, and I arranged to do my Reiki 3, so I'm a Reiki master. And the way that that works is it really... Uh, sort of rounds out that three-dimensional package of, mm. of you know, the karate. Yes, it's physical. It's actually, my sensei always said, uh, Shihan Greg always says that it's 90% mental, mental 10% physical. Mm-hmm. It is really that mental game. It's the same with singing. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's 90% mental getting up on stage. The phys- You have to have the physical piece lined up. And with the Reiki, you have to kind of drop all of that. Mm. and allow you to be the channel for universal life force. So the knowledge of anatomy comes in very handy, and the knowledge of also working with people's voices as a singing teacher gives you that compassionate ability to hold the right space for the person for healing. Yeah, That is fascinating. Yeah. It's, being a singing teacher is really um, humbling, and also it that's what really brought me into the coaching and the Reiki world because I would have all these adult students who would tell me these really tragic stories of mentors and teachers saying to them when they were young, oh, who told you you could sing? Or mm. just mouth the words, dear. Like, God, if I had a dollar for every person who told me that, I just, like, I could retire. And these are capable people who are then Perfectly training, capable. right? Yeah. yeah, you know, and that... It's uh, it's really sad when you think about, yeah, and yes, education has changed, but even then I still work with some, I worked with kids as well whose teachers were like, you know, we don't need you to be as loud, dear. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, it's really, you're not doing this kid any favors right. when they clearly have a gift and it's not being channeled in the right or encouraged in the right way. Being told to be smaller rather yeah. than let's funnel that energy exactly. and that talent here. So then I reach them as adults in their 50s and 60s, sometimes 70s, and it's an aspect of healing that needs to come into the picture so that they can get past, you know, they're singing in community choirs, which is really healthy, mm-hmm. and they're singing in these community choirs, and they're like, oh, I can't reach that note. I'm like, yes, you can. We just warmed up past that note. Mm-hmm. So it's the mental game of, of letting go of the I can't, story 
and allowing the flow of the song and the flow of the notes and the flow of the breath to get them to the place where they can sing that note and trust mm. that they can sing it. Right. And then sing it with with gusto, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So it's a, it's a whole... Everything, all these pieces are interlinked in ways that people wouldn't normally expect. And then there's the transformation facilitator part, which is you've got like a coaching aspect, right? Where you engage with individuals. Yeah. Tell us maybe a little bit more about that. Yes. So this grew, actually grew out of my time in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, where I moved. I, I was called a trailing spouse because we moved from my husband's work. He was he accepted a job there. And I've I, never heard that phrase. Trailing spouse? It's called a trailing, a trailing spouse. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's very common there, but it's not, it's not, it's not used really widely, but that's basically yeah. what it is. You know, you arrive as a trailing spouse. And so I, I did. I was six months later. I arrived with our dog in Abu Dhabi in January. I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? <laughs> and because my work is so varied, I didn't fit into a, a comfortable box for um, getting a job there for myself because I'd done mm. admin work with communications and marketing at the university but I hadn't I don't have a communications and marketing degree mm. and it's just a very interesting place so I thought okay I'm going to go into business for myself and this is how I got into the coaching piece and I started I found people I could sing with first which was great and started, you start to build your network I would imagine that was also grounding for you. Very much Because so. it's very much being your essence, even yeah. though it's in a completely different place, completely different culture, which has the has the potential, speaking yeah. firsthand, of completely throwing you off center. Definitely. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who am I? Yeah. <laughs> and especially, who am I here? Who am I here was a big, mm. you know, soul-searching question. And I did uh, Marie Forleo's online B-School, which was a really great way for me to imagine and reimagine and rethink, how am I going to take all my skills and all my training and all my degrees and all this blah, 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 and all this experience and turn that into a sustainable global business. And so that's, I'm, I'm still building and it. In alignment with your values. In alignment too, right? with my values and my ethics and my integrity. Right. Actually, right. my first, my first job is, I, I, the first thing I created was called the Creative Care Kit. And then, which was a really fun little opt-in. It didn't take off too much, and that's okay. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna bust it out for a few other. I'm gonna re, you know, revamp it because it's still a useful piece of content. And then uh, my first business was called Your Integral Voice, because it's the integrity piece. However, it's also how do you connect your core values with how you communicate, and the the core values in the communication piece again grew into this as I met and encountered people through my networks I was referred clients who you know local you know Emirati or expat or whomever uh, were advanced into these positions in these companies who didn't have the HR training and the HR support that you know would be normal in North America or even parts of Europe mm -hmm. so they were referred to me for um, you know confident communication and I remember one woman I worked with, she was the head of a business department, business division of a large corporation in charge of over 300 staff. And so we worked together for a period of three months. And basically when we started, she would walk into a room with shoulders hunched and um, with a very deflated posture. And together I said, you need to tell your personal trainer that to work on your upper body and shoulders. And then we practiced presence and walking into a room and speaking into a microphone and appearing as the leader that she role that she was fulfilling. 
So that presence piece, that transformational piece was really key. And I never forget the day she sent me a WhatsApp and she's like, oh my God, Jen, you'll never guess. We had our monthly meeting and like three managers came up to me afterwards and they were like, wow, you're so different. What is, what's different? What's changed? You're so, like, you're so amazing and confident on stage. And for me, that was like the best, best reward ever. Mm. Getting that text and and just hearing her so excited about that transformation that she'd had. Nice. Yeah. Stage presence. It really like, is. That's really personal presence, right? And it's putting putting your roots down and because I'm, I'm thinking back to the Reiki piece of it. Yeah. And about um, moving the energy through you and that because I remember when I was doing Reiki that um, if you can and it comes back to sound as well because I used to do toning with the Reiki. Yeah. Which fits very much with what you're talking about and Definitely. what we found was that if somebody had a blockage in one of their energy centers, mm -hmm. they couldn't make the tone for that energy center. Yeah. So it's about getting that so that the energy can move all the way through you and ground you. Exactly. And come all the way back up again so that it can come out into the world mm -hmm. in a way that's grounded and... Um, and clear. Present. And, and present. Clear and present. And yeah. that still is representative of the person communicating it. So it's... And authentic. And authentic. And it has to be tied again to that core values piece. Yeah. You, when you think about the phrase, oh, that message doesn't resonate with me. Mm. Well, there's mm. so many ways that it might not resonate with you. Mm -hmm. But usually it's one of the two. And usually because it's not connected to the integrity or the values of the person who is speaking it. That's why copying and speaking other people's words, um, like I have the utmost respect for for um, very talented speech writers because they have to connect with that person and use those person's right. um, yeah, that not person's theirs, energy. Yeah. yeah, the person for whom yeah. they're writing. It's not just their message, but it's their energy yeah, as exactly. well. So for those of you just joining us, um, you're listening to Essential Conversations with Luca and Rebecca. And our guest today is Jennifer Lang, who is a soundscape artist and transformation facilitator. And we're wandering all over um, <laughs> all the different things that you get into. We were just talking about values. What are your core values? Oh, this is a great question. Uh, so every year I do, uh, I've actually, have six, every six months I do a core values exercise. And so I, right now my core values are uh, community, love, and connection. The, the three C's. Pretty much. No, well, not, well, two. No, L, L two. Isn't a C. Yeah. I mean, my, my, <laughs> my business tagline for, for JenLang.com is inspired creative communication. And for me, that's always been a fit. It's, it's inspired. It's creative communication. It's speech coaching. It's a bit of life coaching sometimes. It's whatever that person needs for whatever reason they're drawn to work with me. There's some reason. There's something I can provide. And it's usually related to some form of inspi inspiration creativity or communication or all three that sounds like those are your core values and these other ones you're talking about are your guiding values right now because it's yeah. interesting your phrasing mm. about you're checking in every six months yes because i feel like our mm. core ones they don't really change they're there even when we're kids right they're yeah. they're just who we are and what we can't help but be about but those guiding values those can change because it's about what we're maybe learning in the moment or re yeah. recognizing where we have 
room to grow mm-hmm. or, or how we're an, expressing our values. There's right? an intention yeah. there of something we want to step no, more I into. I really like that, the guiding values. Yeah, piece. I'll, yeah. I'll, I, I will switch to that because I actually <laughs> think, no, I really do think yeah. it's, uh, it's, I mean, I re- like I said, I revisit and it's an exercise that I go through with a partner mm-hmm. where you say, would you rather have, you narrow it down to 10 and then you work through the 10 and you say, you compare the two, would you rather have love without communi- community or community without love? Right. Oof. Oh, that's neat. And it's a really interesting way to, you're like, oh, and it's usually the first thing that pops into your mind. Yeah. Yeah. You got to go with it. You got to go with that's it. That's really interesting. Yeah. Ooh. Kind of yeah. got some shivers yeah, from that. Gives you <laughs> that yeah. And, and they become difficult and then it becomes very clear very quickly. Yeah. Which are your key guiding values yeah. or guiding yeah. values for that period of time. Yeah. What kinds of questions do you ask to get to those? Oh, gosh. Do you start with a list somewhere? Yeah, usually I start with a list, and I'll start with a list of words, and I'll just kind of... Um, this came from my current coach, uh, Miriam Castilla, but basically it's one of her processes, and we work, th- you work through with a partner because it's helpful to have the other person speak those final ten words. So you start with a big list, and you check off the ones that you think are, you know you connect with. So you might have 20, and then from 20 you narrow it down to 10. And then when you get to 10, that's when you bring the partner in, and then you say, would you rather have A without B or B without A? Mm-hmm. And then you add a point for each word, and eventually you'll just end up with three words that has mm-hmm. the most, that have mm-hmm. the highest number of points. Yeah. This feels really, really true for me. I, 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 I think even as we're coming up to the new year, Luca always does a, a channeling and a reading, group mm. readings at the beginning of the new year. And a lot of it is around this, kind of on a societal level. What are we stepping into in, so for 2020? But then, you know, I'll go home and I've got these little rune stones and something. And it's just become, it's a bit of a game. But at the same time, it, 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 it just gives you a focus. Yeah, it, it's a... It's a door to walk through with the intention of what do I, what is most important to me for this year? Exactly. And and being willing to receive information about what might be important for me this mm-hmm. year that I may not have been aware of, mm-hmm. that this can help me to become aware of. Because I'm not just going to take it on because something or someone tells me this is what's going to be important for you. No, no, no. I'll know in my has to be authentic. Gut. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. it is. But um, this is really interesting. So starting with these 10 words or you mm-hmm. narrowing it down this is this is neat what a neat it, it's a bit playful mm-hmm. and yeah. a bit of a game but but yeah as you said the, the truth will out you absolutely you're going to know what what is most important and for then you, you kind the of time. sit there and cringe you're like oh my god how do i choose between this and this and that's when you get to that you know that crucial point where you're like oh you know and you know some people struggle to really struggle to get three Usually it's sometimes it's four or five, but Miriam really encourages everybody to get to those three because that becomes your focus. And then those three words guide your actions for the next six months. I'm thinking about how many people who are self-employed end up trying to figure out what to put on their website (laughs) and how to guide how they're going to phrase what's on their website, what language to use. Mm -hmm. That is authentic and congruent and all of that. And I was thinking that these choosing words and values like this would be really helpful in that process for them. Definitely. Definitely. That's a, it's a helpful process for, as a sort of a tagline. Or the other, the other piece of it is I have like an elevator pitch 
statement mm. that I help people create, which I love doing, and it allows me to do the creative piece and the mm. intuitive piece. And all I do is I ask people to talk to me, tell me about their business. Tell me mm. about your business. Tell me how your clients feel after working with you. Mm. What sort of transformation do they experience? And then you know, sometimes they go really hard into the pain points and they're like, well, you know, they're tired moms and they don't have enough sleep. I'm like, okay, yep, yep. Every mom is tired and no mom has enough sleep. So moving past that, how do you, how do you channel Mm -hmm. that? And that's, it's just so much fun because it's a 30 minute call and we get this beautiful little phrase and that should go on the website because Mm -hmm. it immediately Mm -hmm. tells people who visit the site, are you meant to work with me? Or am I meant to work with you? Right. Yeah. It feels like it's time for one of your songs. Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Which one would you like to do first? Oh, good question. Um, Let's do the longer one first. Okay. The uh, Duo Seraphim. Okay. So this is the Duo Seraphim from Monteverdi's Vespro della Beata Vergine. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yeah, it was very lovely. It was Vespers of the Blessed Virgin. (laughs) Thank you in English. For those who are not Italian. (laughs) Yeah. And it's one of Monteverdi's most, I guess, well-known works. It's pretty amazing. So, yeah, enjoy. And would you like to tell us before or after why you picked this song? Oh, I'll tell you. This piece, I should say. Song doesn't it's feel piece. right. It's not. It's yeah, piece. it is a piece. Yeah, it is. Or this, the movement of this work. You could also say that. There's mm. so many possibilities. <laughs> um, I will tell you now. Okay. Actually. So I was introduced to this whole work uh, when I was in university studying at McGill. And it was just, it's just such a fantastic work. I've seen it performed live twice, once in Montreal, once in Victoria. And hearing it live is really, really, I highly recommend it, like, Seriously, if they ever offer it, run out and buy your ticket because <laughs> it's Renaissance. It's a Renaissance work, and they have all these really fascinating instruments and the crumb horn and the, you know, the precursors to our modern brass section. Mm. And it's a double choir with multiple soloists. And dual seraphim I chose because it's uh, it's two seraphim who are talking about the glory of God, and you'll hear the two voices um, talk to talk to one another and the double choir piece and why did I choose it it's just my favorite movement within the whole Mm -hmm. work and it's just you'll hear these crunchy points where the voices lean against one another and then you hear the resolution and that's Mm. a really emotional point Mm -hmm. so it's a call and response type of thing kind of like life it is, yeah. It's these crunchy moments that are then resolved, and then you move on to the next crunchy moment that right. gets resolved. All right, let's listen to this, um, the seraphims yeah. with their glorious sounds and their crunchy moments. <laughs> <laughs> we will be right back in the studio with Jen Lang in just a few minutes.
You're listening to Essential Conversations with Rebecca and Luca, and our guest today is Jennifer Lang, a soundscape artist and a transformation facilitator. We just listened to her first song choice for the day, which was uh, Monteverdi's Duo Seraphim, which is from the Vespers of the Blessed Virgin. And we all had a little bit of transportation (laughs) as we listened to that. Just a few goosebumps and yes. Yeah, and while we were on, while we were listening, we were having a conversation there, and you were making a comment about some of these these amazing composers whose work spanned. Um, I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna find the words, so I'm gonna let you say it because <laughs> okay. I'm not gonna say it as good as you can. <laughs> it's all good. So we like to classify music, obviously, and there's the Renaissance and the Baroque and the classical and the Romantic, and et cetera, et cetera. So we were talking about how I was explaining how Monteverdi is this composer who spans the transition of the Renaissance to Baroque periods and how Beethoven spans the classical to Romantic era periods. And Beethoven probably is much more familiar to people than most people than than Monteverdi's music, say. But if you listen to Beethoven's music towards his later years, if you look at any works that are really kind of out there, they would even be considered modern by our contemporary standards. Uh, They're kind of out there. And it's because Beethoven was deaf. And so he didn't hear what his contemporaries were performing. And he didn't hear what other composers were writing. So I sort of postulated, I was like, oh, I wonder how Western music would be different if Beethoven didn't go deaf. Mm -hmm. And how he really, Beethoven really nudged everyone into this romantic era by his experimentation. And he knew what was happening on the page. He could hear it in his head. But he didn't hear what his contemporaries were doing, so he just set the groundwork and he just did it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he had access to the written scores of some oh. of his contemporaries. Cause oh, I, most likely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm imagining that that's he'd he'd be able to hear it that way From as he heard his it. own things. But it's not the same thing as the exposure that he would have had when he had hearing. Um, exactly. Yeah, for There's sure. This lovely story of when he. Um, did the premiere of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, which we all know is the Ode to Joy. You know, that we all know that one. So 
or the theme anyway. And this is beautiful story of when he premiered it and he conducted the premiere, but he was deaf. So he actually didn't know when the musicians stopped playing. And the soprano leaned over and tapped him on the shoulder to tell him that everyone had played it and it was finished because he was still conducting. And I was like, oh, what a moment, you know, like (laughs) Mr. Beethoven standing there, maestro, and and the soprano has taught. It's just this really lovely little anecdote. I don't know if it's true or not, but it still is a lovely story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. So where next? I mean, your life has been all... Now, you touched briefly on the fact that you lived in United Arab Emirates. Yes. That's not something everybody can say. No. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about what you learned from that? Sure. So that was really my foray into entrepreneurship and starting to run my own business and talk about like rooting and and finding your roots and being home. There's nothing like leaving home Mm. to make you realize where your roots really are. And I experienced this actually twice in my life. Once when I went off to university in England for a year when I was 20 and 20 and 21. Uh, when I got to England, I was like, oh, I'm very much Canadian. Because it was funny because when I was, because my mother's British and my father's Canadian. And I'd always identified with the British part of me. And then I went to live in England. I was like, oh, okay, now I can see my Canadian side really. It just wasn't the same. And they see subtle differences. Mm. So the UAE was a similar, not probably not, definitely not as familiar as experiences going to England. Mm-hmm. But living in Abu Dhabi and Dubai, uh, was a real window into, okay, well, what what identifies me as Canadian? Mm. And so many people from all walks of life were like, oh, you're from Canada, you're so lucky. Or, oh, take me, pack me in your suitcase with you. And <laughs> like these kinds of things, because we are incredibly privileged. And even by, even by European standards, we're incredibly privileged. And it really helped me to see the value of home and what we experience specifically here in Western Canada, and how fortunate we are to live in such a um, rich, privileged, and um, free society and environment. And land privilege as well. So much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yes, in Abu Dhabi, we could go out in Dubai. We can go out into the desert. You can go mm-hmm. dune bashing. We call it dune bashing in the desert. <laughs> and, it's, and you go camping, and it's, you know, it's just free. You load up your 4 by 4 um, you have to make sure you have, you know, you know what you're doing. You have to talk to friends and you go out into the desert and you go camping for the night and you wake up and there's these little rodent tracks around <laughs> your tents. And so like the, there's little mammals that come out, little yeah. desert foxes and things. So there, but you're right. The land privilege, the accessibility that we have to land here and we should never take it for granted. Land and water. And, and water, fresh mm. water. Yeah. So I have a slightly different question to ask. That's the other side of this. Yeah. Yes, I I can connect with the, I mean, it turns your head sideways when you go to live in a, a culture other than the one that you grew up in, especially one that's dramatically different. Definitely. Um, but it can be equally turning your head on its side when you return home. <laughs> yes. And you've been back about a year. Yeah. So what have you discovered about yourself upon your return? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> oh, put me on the spot. Uh-huh, that's I what know, I do. <laughs> I know, it's brilliant. What have you discovered about myself? Um... I'm very much connected to trees and like earth, ocean, trees, mountains. That mm. that part of me mm. is a huge piece of my, um, I guess, my soul happiness or my soul journey. Um, some people I know like arrive in the desert, they're like immediately connected to the desert. I did not feel that. I missed the green desperately. Mm-hmm. And I, this 
particular memory of I came home one summer for a visit for two weeks and I remember getting off the plane and then arriving, you know, in Tawasin and staying with my mom and went for a walk and I could smell the different colors of green. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, oh, that's moss. I'm like, oh, there's no, there's pine and oh, there's fir and I'm like, okay, <laughs> so there's, there's some wet dirt and there's, there's some rotting leaves. You know, it, it just really heightens your senses. So what I discovered about myself too is, apart from that nature piece, is that uh, now that I've had this, for lack of a better word, expat experience, living in the UAE, I I have to value my experience a lot more than I did before I left. My experience, and not just in a monetary way, but um, use my experience to educate people, because so many people make the assumption, oh, it must have been really hard being a woman there. I'm actually, mm-hmm. it was really privileged being a white Western woman there. Mm-hmm. You're basically, you're almost at the top of the pile. You know, it's very... It is a role of privilege, and I I never ever took advantage of it because it's I was f- so fortunate and so blessed, and you know, women get their own special waiting area with tea and cookies when you have mm-hmm. to go for health tests, and it's as much about sort of the gender segregation, but at the same time, it's also about respecting women and giving them the space to be women, and that's for me that's really changed how I look at Canada and say, okay, well, how can we give spaces to the various gender identifying people? Because I certainly don't want to segregate this into just men and women. But for people who want a mixed space, fantastic. For people who identify as women, there's a space for you, a safe space. And that that really brought that home to me. It's like, okay, well, what if we what have we lost by sort of lumping everyone together at the same time as what have we gained through this understanding? Right. Interesting insights. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. It's like that's a whole other avenue of Absolutely. discussion, but it's a really, really important one that I didn't expect to find. What did you discover about yourself as a woman that you didn't know before you spent that sojourn outside of Canada? Oh, Honestly, I think it it amplified my kindness and compassion for for people there because there is a certain amount of um, setting your some of your personal ethics aside and moving into a space of observation, like that this is not your quote unquote your country per se, and you're a guest. And I basically I just approached it with approach everybody with kindness because you have no idea from the security guard who's just arrived from Sudan where he's been recruited so he can get a job and send money back to his family so he doesn't have to join a militia Mm -hmm. to the poor guy from Bangladesh who's stocking shelves at the grocery store who doesn't have a clue what you're asking for you're trying to find pineapple and so that compassion piece really got amplified. And I'm finding much more patient now than I was before. Sounds like an openness or an increased awareness of the vast expanse of stories that are out there. Definitely. That we don't have a clue about. And we're so busy just going about our life and we're immersed in our own story that we just, we don't have eyes to see that something else is going on for someone else. Like yeah. I, the woman who did my nails, when I made, I did, I went three times. I think in that whole five-year period, I went three <laughs> times to get my to get a pedicure. And I was talking to this young this woman from the Philippines, and she, I said, "How long have you been in this country?" And she's like, "Oh, 18 years." I'm like, "Oh, wow." 
And she's like, but I'm so happy. She's like, my daughter is about to graduate as a dentist and my son in the Philippines and my son is just finishing up as a lawyer. I'm like, holy. She's like, but I see them every two years. Yeah. And so you think of the sacrifice and the um, ambition, honestly. It's a form of ambition that these people have to better both their situation and their children's situation. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that reminds me of a a time I was invited to go work in Papua New Guinea by a very good friend that I worked with in Sri Lanka. And it would have required me, I would have got a nice amount of money, had a secure job, but I would have had to leave my kids here with their dad and see them only maybe once a year. And for my friend who was inviting me to this work, it was like, this is a no-brainer, Rebecca. Why are you not saying yes to this? You've got, they've got good family to love them and look after them. This is a yeah. way that you can help to get ahead financially because that's something that you're needing right now. And I could not wrap my head around it. I just could not. But it's a, it's an, I can't say that one is right or one is wrong because mm-hmm. they're just different. They come from different paradigms. Yeah. They come from different world experiences. Yeah. And but it's such a like for me there was I just couldn't. It was not a no. It was just a no. Yeah. Well, exactly. And <laughs> yeah. like we're we're blessed with options here. Yeah. And that's that's basically. I mean, even in Dubai, I was blessed with options. Oh, where am I going to have brunch on Friday? Well, poor <laughs> me, you know. Yeah. And it's you know brunch is a big deal there. It's like their their weekend is Friday, Saturday, so they have a all you can eat and drink brunch from noon to four so wow hey oh it's that's quite a brunch oh it's quite a brunch yeah it's quite an experience (laughs) but you know again we go a couple times a year as a special occasion but we there were friends in our circle who went every week wow hey that's it's excessive yeah (laughs) just like (laughs) just oh my god it's a whole different value system it again it's a whole different value system Mm -hmm. so for me it was more important to connect and have weekends at home and Mm-hmm. You know, and walk the dogs, and you know, we took we took our dog with us, and we adopted a dog there. But that changed the way we traveled, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I never went to Oman, even though it's like right next door, because we didn't, you know, at the time we didn't have friends close enough that we could leave them with. And then it's a whole thing to like cross the border. You don't cross right. the border with your dog. Then there's the reentry and blah blah blah. It's it's very different, right? I just remembered you've got some show and tell here today that we haven't talked about yet. That's right. I want to yeah. know the story of the Matchbox. Oh, okay. So Matchbooks. Matchbooks. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a Matchbook. It's one of several. So uh, as Rebecca mentioned, I've just moved back after a year away. But I've just just a month ago, I moved back into the house that my husband and I had in Victoria. So I'm unpacking five years, stuff I packed up five years ago. And what I've discovered was that I, I, I love to collect some certain things including rocks, shells, um, coins, and matches. <laughs> so I was finding these matches, and I actually found a set from Love Affair Vancouver, which used to be a nightclub I used to go to in the 90s. And Love Affair, I think, started in Vancouver in the 70s. It's got this long, sort of dirty yet fun history <laughs> in Vancouver. And even when I went, I literally went just to dance uh, because it was just so much fun. And this is, of course, in the time when you could smoke in nightclubs, so matches were available everywhere. And the you know, love affair of this this sort of design. I think there's actually a, a place in Vancouver you can still order the T-shirts that have the the logo of the love affair words with the microphone. They used to get live bands, and they really musically shaped my sort of young adult years because I loved the sort of heavier alt '90s music. And it's, it's so funny for me to say that because I'm like, oh, you're a classical singer. Don't you love? I'm like, I love all music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I love everything from like Led Zeppelin to Aerosmith to Metallica yeah. to, you know, to bluegrass. I 
played it and sang in a folk ensemble. It doesn't matter. It's ear flavors. Oh, yeah. It is ear flavors. You're yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Imagine. I like ear flavors. Ear flavors. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Luca. My weirdness coming out. Yeah, of it's great. It's like okay, you can be Italian and eat pasta, but I'm like, but I'm not Italian, so I like other food. <laughs> so why wouldn't you listen to and enjoy other music? Yeah. It speaks to a different part of your again, speaks to a different part of your soul and challenges and channels aspects of your soul and your story. Mm-hmm. So that's why I brought the matchbook. That's so cool. Because it's uh, yeah. And nice. I'm, so I'm, I'm starting to use my matchbooks now. I have one from a campground when <laughs> I was a kid, and I'm just like, well, why, don't, why wouldn't I use them? They don't need to sit here anymore. Mm. And as you use yeah. them, of course, you get to relive exactly. and connect with the covers. memories. You don't, you don't I have could. to yeah. throw out the covers I have two when the of these, which is great. Yeah. 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 I have two, two Love Affair matchbooks, and yeah, yeah it's fun. Yeah. So you've also brought your karate belt. Yeah, my black belt. And... Tell us a bit more about karate. You've referred to it, but you haven't gone really deep in it. Oh, yeah. So I've been a Wado Karate, Wado Karate, I don't know, practitioner for over 20 years. I started in my last years of university. And the first two weeks that I was sort of training in the university students group, I was like, these people are crazy. They're yelling all the time. I don't get it. And then all of a sudden, I found myself enjoying it. And I just loved the discipline. I loved the the kata, which is the, sort of the set sequence of moves that were designed to fight off multiple opponents. Mm-hmm. I loved the structure, and of course, I loved the fitness. That was a bonus. Mm-hmm. I I'd hated PE as a kid. I never really found a an exercise that I really that really spoke to me the way karate did. And so I've literally just this last week gone back to my home dojo to Hombu to train. And it's just been so great to go back and what train with them. What a lovely little homecoming that must have it's been. It's just been great, yeah. yeah. So some of the men I've trained, some of the people I've trained with have been there, again, like 30, 40 years. Some mm-hmm. of them they've trained with. Longevity. Yeah, it's a longevity. And again, it's a community. It's a small dojo. Uh, it's really, uh, yeah, they have a smaller smaller kids program. It's not, it's not a sort of a majorly franchised school, but they have a community dojo in Victoria, Duncan. They have a couple of other community schools in various parts of Canada, mm-hmm. but I love it. And it's, I'm the third Dan black belt now. So every time I go, it's, I train, I learn new kata and it's, my body loves those moves. Mm-hmm. And again, it's an, that energy piece where you can take up space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And move through it. Yeah, and move, yeah, yeah. And intention. In, and with intention. And we also practice like flow kata. So we might take the, the staccato and the hardness out of it and just practice right. flowing. So it looks more like tai chi. Oh, interesting. So there's there's variants you, we do. Oh. Yeah, it's, real, it's a lot of fun. It's like all the different ways of playing a piece of music. Exactly. You nailed it. Exactly. Right on. You've also got a, a singing bowl here. I sure do. I want to hear the bull sing. It's okay, a brass, it's a brass bull, right? <laughs> it's brass, and it's well. Traditionally, they're made of seven or, different metals, yes. so um, brass would definitely is a composite. Yeah. And you'd have to ask my dad; he used to make brass beds. But mm. this, they're brass, nickel, iron. Um, I can't remember all seven. You can look which them up. gives it its very specific tone. Yes, right? and they're hand hammered, so you can't mm. see this bowl. But basically, there's all these little hammer marks. And I brought my smallest bowl, which is mm. toned to an F. And it's very clear, and I love it to clear space. I would have brought my whole set, but they get their own suitcase. <laughs> so this bowl sings because it has a smooth outside edge. You can probably hear it. I hope you can hear it well through the airwaves. Okay, great. And then what I do is something very unique and different. I sing with my bowl. As you would. As I will. As an opera singer. Exactly. Exactly. 
And that's what I do. That's beautiful. So normally it's longer and lots of fun, but I I love my singing bowls and I that's the whole soundscape thing. That's how I create the soundscapes. Yeah. I just got a crystal bowl that I've started singing with as well and we make beautiful music together and they clear space and heal So people. you mentioned that you that you do soundscapes for people. I that, do. So they can commission one yeah. in a way. So tell tell our listeners how they could commission a soundscape. Yeah, it's not as... Okay, so a commission sounds like a really serious word. And it it (laughs) kind of is, but it isn't. It's actually, you basically, you can order a custom soundscape. Yeah. And it's very simple. It's a 15-minute sort of Zoom call or phone call. And I'd ask about what it is you're looking for. Maybe you're looking to sleep better. Or maybe you have some digestive issues. Or maybe you are working using the Pomodoro technique and you'd like something to help you focus. This is what a lot of my orders actually are around a 25-minute mark because they like to have that focus time. And then through that conversation, I figure out which chakras or which energy centers need a boost. And I design the soundscape. So that 15-minute phone call is thing, and then I go away and I record it, and I send it to them within seven days, and they get their own custom soundscape. And you've got a nice, neat formula for what you charge for it as well. I do. It's $5 a minute, and as a minimum 10-minute order. And then if you want an added background like rainfall or ocean or waves, that's another $10. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's a $50. If you want a 10-minute soundscape, it's 50 bucks. And if you want the little rain in the background, which is lovely, then it's mm. 60 And you have your own. And I never use it for anything else. It's yours forever. Yeah. So And so once you've bought it, you can play it over and over exactly. and over for yourself. Yeah. And some people divide. Whenever you need it. Exactly. Some people buy 30 minutes and get yeah. two 15-minute soundscapes. Oh, so they have a so variety. So they have two, two yeah, of them. So you can do that, too. We are getting very short on time here. There's just been so much that we're here to explore. I want to be sure that you get a moment to say who you'd love to hear from and how people can get in touch with you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I would love to hear from you if you're interested in ordering a custom soundscape. And or if you are curious about developing your own personal statement or elevator pitch phrase. So there's two different websites, but you can contact me through either one for either service. To order your custom soundscape, you email me or reach out on Instagram at info at soundbodysphere.com. And on Instagram, you can follow me as at soundbodysphere, exactly like it sounds. If you are interested in the elevator pitch, it's geniuslangus at gmail.com. J-E-N-I-U-S-L-A-N-G-U-S at gmail.com. We got it. Thank you. And anybody who's listening, if you want to uh, find some of the links to the things that uh, Jen has referred to today, including the links that she just told you, you can connect with her at. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at EssentialConv. That's spelled Essence, T-I-A-L-C-O-N-V. And we're just about to wrap up here. Luca, wow. you want to tell people about what's happening for you at the end of the year, since I referred to it earlier. So. Oh, I'm offering December boosters, Ooh. little 15-minute <laughs> sessions um, on five different days in December. And so the information about that will go up on my website tomorrow. So this is a little precursor to it. But that's a little something to help you get through December. And uh, I'm doing that by, by donation to your favorite charity. Because it's the giving month. I love it. Yeah. That's a great idea. And and how about you, Rebecca? Me, I have room for a couple of new coaching clients at the moment. Other Mm -hmm. than that, we're kind of winding down for the holiday season. But Mm -hmm. uh, 
We'll re- revamp it's in the good, new year. It's a good chance to explore that as we come up to yeah. January. So yeah. th- oh, do I the sh- research you know now and start in January. Yeah. Actually, we need to we need to head out here. I just realized the yeah. time. <laughs> All right. So, until, until next, next week. <laughs> Thank you. I wonder what's around the corner. <laughs> Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahallux.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep, yep. Oh, 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 Happy, 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 happy. Boing, 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 boing.